uh, we've picked up on the theme Arise just for one Sunday. Uh, And the reason for that is because it is all about the resurrection of Jesus. That's been our focus up to now. It's been contained in the songs that we've sung. It's at the very center of the message of the Bible. Everything rests on the resurrection of Jesus. It's all about that. Um, If it didn't happen, as we said earlier, then we, let's go home. (laughs) Uh, And yet, we believe that it really did happen. But we want to just spend a few minutes this afternoon going back to that first day. Rise as it happened. Uh, And the account that we've got is a little account of Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, who brought spices and they went to anoint the body of Jesus. That's what we're going to be looking at this afternoon. It's just a little account. It's eight verses long. But in a sense, and if you've got the opportunity, maybe this evening, just to pick up your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 16, and go through those one to eight verses. Because that little historical event is essential to the faith that has lasted 2,000 years. Uh, And just to remind us that what we believe uh, recorded here is actually just that, a historical event. The two women who literally went for a walk to do a job. We're going to think about that. The first thing that that grabs us whenever we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we can't get away from it, is that we really are talking about a life and death issue, aren't we? Literally, that's what it's all about. It's actually about, in this case, a death and life issue. It's a a life and death and life issue. It's all about that essential, massive issue of the reality of death and life. We have a fascinating relationship with life. I think more and more we're beginning to see in written into the human dynamic, written into our experiences, our cultural experiences, ways in which we express our desire, our desperate desire to live. We see it all over the place, don't we? We desperately want to live. Some of you might have heard a little bit about um, cryogenic freezing. I don't know whether you've heard of cryogenic freezing. It's the idea of being able to, at the the moment of death, being able to instantly freeze your body uh, in the hope, expectation, that at some point in the future, the technology is going to be developed so that that body which has been instantly frozen is able to be uh, brought back to life and all of the issues that have caused that death uh, are now sorted out. So whatever ailment has taken us is actually worked out through time, however many years, 50, 100, 150 years, I'm stored, I'm okay. Because by the time um, I get brought back from the deep freeze, um, all of those issues are going to be resolved. It's a multi-million dollar business in America. Uh, The leading business is Alcor Life Extension Foundation. And um, they they actually, because it would seem that the expectation now is that the rest of our body can most likely be 
um, grown again in the laboratory, um, then actually all that we really need to freeze is the head. Uh, and Kim uh, Suozzi was a medical uh, a science graduate student who died and, uh, and decided to have that, went on to the story of her uh, decision. And uh, somebody in the comments at the bottom wrote this. I'm mystified as to why so many people dismiss this as impossible and seem so eager to do so. If the procedure is successful, the world in which Miss Suozzi and other cryonauts awake will most probably be a world in which aging and death have been eliminated. She and they could live on indefinitely. Smiley face. Um, this, folks is, in one sense, it's scientific fiction at the moment, but it is genuinely what people are hoping for. Isn't it fascinating the length to which we desperately, desperately are holding on to life? I don't know whether you've seen, like, this is not a spoiler. I don't need a spoiler alert because I'm only taking information from the trailer because I've not seen the movie yet. The latest movie with Johnny Depp, so it's probably going to be good, is uh, Transcendence. I don't know whether you've seen the trailer for it. Um, Johnny Depp, this scientific genius who's about, to, it seems, well, actually, uh, he gets shot. Uh, and they've got a short period of time where they suddenly make this decision, what he's been working on, we can download his consciousness into a computer. We can, in other words, what are, here's the question, what are we as people? That's what's really being asked, isn't it? What are we as people? One is saying it's all about resolving the physical, so I'll keep the head because it's all in there. The other's saying it's something deeper. It's not about the body. It's about our consciousness. We can download his consciousness. Uh, and if we, and precisely what they do, it seems, and they get his consciousness into a computer and he starts to take over the world. And Morgan Freeman, in that fantastic voice, says, I won't try. If we don't stop him, it will be the end of mankind as we know it. Isn't it amazing? We have an absolute fascination with the desire to live. It is written into us as human beings in one way or another. We, we seem to know that life is that precious. It is that valuable. It is that important. Here's the thing. The message of Jesus deals with that very issue. The message which we now see portrayed on movie screens, the message which we see worked out in scientific communities around the world, or at least attempting to be, the message of the Bible 2,000 years ago is dealing with that very issue and confronting us and saying, you are right it is right that we desperately want to live. We are made for life. We are made for life. Mark's account of the life of Jesus 
is the snapshot of the engagement of God in that very issue. Mark's gospel starts off fantastically, and it originally ended here. Mark's gospel starts off with the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's where it starts. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It concludes with this. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Isn't that fascinating? Mark writes this account and he encourages those who first read it. It was effectively, it was a, 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 a letter or a tract or however we want to describe it. It was a piece of writing which was constructed in a particular way to present to people who didn't know about Jesus the message of Jesus. And he starts and he says to the first hearers, as he says to you and me, the essential message is that it is good news about Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what it's all about. And he ends, it seems, with a group of women, two women, who are terrified by what they experience. Isn't that fascinating? Wouldn't you have thought that Mark would have said, well, if I'm trying to persuade people, surely I've got to, I've got to fill it out and I've got to explain and I've got to cover all of the bases and, and, and actually what Mark emphasizes to us by his decision of what he writes is this. It is all about Jesus It is about what he did. It is about the life that he lived. It is about the death that he died. It is the fact that he was buried in the tomb. And it was the fact that he rose again from the dead. When we get to that point, I can can stop. There's plenty more that's going to be said about Jesus until he returns again. But I can stop now because I want to present to you this life. For you to make a decision on what to do with this life. In a sense, it's exactly the same for us today, isn't it? Mark says, here's the good news. It's all about Jesus. And he ends it by saying, and these women walked away because they were terrified by what they experienced. And what they experienced was the resurrection of Jesus. Hand it over to you. I want to ask you this afternoon, where are you with that question? Where are we? We might have been Christians for many years. And we might actually feel as though many issues, challenges of life, all sorts of things going on in the world or our own personal lives are just so big and so massive and, and, and they're kind of weighing us down. And that, that is, in one sense, that is absolutely understandable. There are many things that hit us. But there can be nothing bigger in significance than the resurrection of Jesus. And Mark says to us in that whole letter, why not, before you go back to work, read the book of Mark, read the whole of the gospel. Mark says to us, here is the life. It's all about this. This is bigger than anything that you will ever fear, ever anything that you will ever come to terms with. And it ends with an event, a resurrection. Let's have a look at how we see it opening up. 
Firstly, we see it as just as it is expected to be. As the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Slomi, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. So let's get our timing right. The Sabbath for the Jews was the last day of the week. Jesus, if you remember the narrative, if you're not sure about the narrative of Jesus, this is how it worked out. He was crucified the day before the Sabbath. Uh, The religious leaders didn't want his body hanging uh, or the bodies of all of those who had been hanging uh, out on the the Passover day. So they asked that the bodies would be taken down. They went and they took Jesus down. He was already dead. That would effectively be on our Friday. They buried him on Friday. uh, And this is the day after Sabbath. So this is the Sunday, effectively. Saturday is the Sabbath. They come to the Sunday, first day of the week. And they're up there. They're doing a job. The day after the Sabbath was over, and they're doing something. They are doing exactly what is expected to be done. They are doing what is expected to be done for somebody who has died. What they're doing is something which is culturally very normal. It's not culturally normal for most of us today uh, to return and to anoint the body. That's not something that we would do. But it's normal for that time. It's normal for that age. They're returning to the point where Jesus has been buried so that they can carry out the ritual of the anointing of the dead body. They are showing respect to somebody who they valued, somebody who they loved. But the message that Mark is bringing to us is essentially at this point in time, from their point of view, everything is over. It's finished. It, it's, it's ended. They've spent a number of years, three years, watching Jesus. He's had an incredible impact on the area in which he uh, ministered. There's people who have been engaged with him. There's all sorts of things have gone on. There's people who have confronted him. There's been religious leaders who have confronted him. And yet, remarkably, he has seemed to transcend all of that for for two and a half years. And then in the final stages, it appears as though everything mounts up against him and it all goes wrong and he ends up dead. That's where it is for these two women at this moment in time. He ends up dead. It's as expected in one sense, in the sense that a life has been lived and a life has ended. That's what we expect, don't we? Sometimes it happens, mostly it happens normally. You know, for most people, we're born, we live, we age, we die. That's the normal pattern. For some people, it happens unexpectedly. And in the case of Jesus, it happened unexpectedly. He was relatively young, But his life was cut short. In one sense, this was normal. A life is ended. It's speaking right into our experience, isn't it? Just walk alongside for a minute. Walk alongside those two women. First thing in the morning. Imagine the emotion. Imagine the conversation. Imagine the feeling. There's one part of the conversation which is laid out for us. We know at least one thing that they were talking about. They're doing the normal thing, but there's one element which is abnormal. 
Jesus has been buried. But we know that because they were fearful, the Roman authorities were fearful fearful of Jesus' body being stolen, they put an armed guard and they rolled a stone across the place where Jesus was buried so that he couldn't be taken. So they're going to do the normal, but they are expecting a problem. See what they say. They were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I think there's something really beautifully human about that comment. Beautifully human. Many of our experiences of losing loved ones are not surrounded by logical thinking, are they? They're not surrounded by logical decision-making. The logical decision-making would be, we know that there has been a stone that has been rolled across the entrance to the burial place. Let's make sure that we take somebody who can remove the stone. That's what they would do if they were thinking logically. But I love that the Bible is, is just written through with human normality. Grief, we do strange things, don't we? Two women travel to anoint the body of Jesus to do a job, to culturally be consistent, and yet the discussion is, how are we going to do it? How are we going to achieve that? So in one sense, everything is as expected. Next thing that we see is nothing is as expected. Everything is as expected. Life has ended. Nothing is as expected because when they get there, they find that precisely the problem that they expected to encounter has been removed. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. You're not kidding. They were alarmed. I'm not surprised. Are you? Are you surprised that they were alarmed? Of course not. Because what they expected to see is completely turned over. They go expecting a problem, thinking about how they're going to resolve this issue. I don't know, maybe, maybe they were thinking, I wonder whether the Roman guards would just be willing for us to just move the stone a little bit for us to go and do what we've got to do. Maybe that was part of the conversation. And they arrive and it's just completely turned around. The barrier is removed. Now here's the thing that I, it struck me when I thought about this. The barrier is removed. But the barrier is removed not to give access to death, but to give access to life. They expected that the barrier was going to stop them getting to death. That's where they were headed. 
They were headed for a dead body, and the barrier was the stone. What they actually discover is the barrier that is removed doesn't give them access to death. It gives them access to life. Because what is behind the stone is not a body, but a messenger who's saying that Jesus, the one who you have come to anoint with fragrance, to go through the ritual of showing honor to the dead, that very one is alive. He's alive. Don't be alarmed, he said. I just, I think it's great, isn't it? Because I would be terrified, wouldn't you? Don't be, it's just, the message of God is about that. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who's crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Here's the thing. This is not a surprise. This is not a quick response of God when things go horribly wrong. That's the point that Mark is making for us. Uh, it doesn't, it's not as though Easter unravels on God's part, as though suddenly everything, the wheel falls off, and all of those who've been supporting Jesus suddenly uh, turn against him, and the, the uh, religious leaders and the Roman authorities militate against him, and somehow God has got to get out of this. Look at what the messenger says. This is exactly as Jesus said it was going to be. One of the things that we find about that final imposter death is that no matter, no matter when it comes, whether it is expected or unexpected, our sense is the same, isn't it? We cannot control this. We have no power over this. It just breaks in. It just hits us. We didn't, we might have known that it's going to happen. And yet when it happens, it is always the same. It just washes over us. And yet here we see Jesus saying, or the messenger saying, Jesus was not taken aback by the way events unfolded. It was precisely as he said it was going to be. As though Mark is making the point, just in the way that he's narrating the events of Jesus' life. The issue is this. Jesus had control all the time. All the events that were going on, if you were here with us on Friday morning, we saw it on Friday morning. When Pilate says, don't you realize I've got power of, uh, power of life and death? over you. And he says, you haven't got any power over me unless it's been given to you by my father. You've got no power. I'm the one with the power. I'm the one with the authority. I'm the one who holds this right now. I am the one who has brought myself to this point. I am the one who has given myself to the cross. I am the one who has given myself to the grave. And now I'm the one who has given myself once again to life. 
I have the power. It is just as he told you it was going to be. Now, I think that has um, profound implications for us. I think it should, and I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons why Mark makes this point. He's making the point that Jesus is consistent. What he says is going to happen is precisely what happens. So when he gives every indication that his mission in the plan of salvation is to give himself as a sacrifice, but then to return again, Mark's words should come ringing out to us where we say it's just as he said it was going to be. So there's going to be another moment in the history of the world which is going to come just like that imposter of death. It's going to be that moment which floods over us when Jesus returns again as judge. And those who have taken account of Jesus' consistency may remember those words of Mark. It is just as he said it was going to be. I don't know when that day is going to be. Over the past 2,000 years, there has been more speculation about the day when Jesus is going to return than probably anything else in the story of the Bible. It's going to be this. I've heard in my lifetime, which is getting longer but not hugely long, in my lifetime I've heard all sorts of things which are the kind of the key to the final moments. Um, um, we now call it the European community. It used to be the common market way back. The common market was definitely the moment when Jesus was going to return. It was clear as, as, as clear as anything when you look at the Bible. There's all sorts of reasons why the common market was going to be the reason. But then, way back, there were all sorts of other things. Hitler was very much the reason why, the, the moment where Jesus was going to return. Uh, There's been throughout history those moments where Jesus is going to return. But the thing is this, and Mark is making this point, it is just as he said it was going to be. So whenever it is, don't be surprised when it happens. Mark would have us think. Mark would have us respond by not being surprised when Jesus does return because it's just as he said it was going to be. I I don't know when that will be. It might be that I'm going to one day be dead and buried. It might be that I'll see Jesus return. It might be that we might not get home tonight. We might not get home for tea or supper. We might not get to see transcendence because Jesus might return. That's what Jesus is saying. What I say is what is going to happen. It's just as I said it was going to be. In one sense, Mark concludes, doesn't he, with a cliffhanger. In, in one sense, fear is not quelled in these two women. It takes time. It takes time for fear to be quelled. Fear doesn't just disappear with one set of words, does it? Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark concludes with this final cliffhanger. Jesus risen is the conclusion of the good news that he says in verse 1. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news is that Jesus is risen.
fascinating, you know, 13 times in 16 chapters, Mark uses the picture of fear and anxiety, being afraid. 13 times it's mentioned in 16 chapters. That's pretty frequent, isn't it? I think what Mark is trying to encourage the reader to say, to to engage with through the story of the life of Jesus is there are many reasons to fear, isn't there? You know, in one sense, I would suggest that cryogenics and the idea of being able to download our consciousness into some sort of mainframe computer are ways in which we are trying to quell the fear trying to stop what we fear, trying to find a way to suppress what we see as the inevitable. And throughout the message of Mark, what he's trying to say is that your fear is not resolved inside of you. Your fear is not resolved by your skillful capabilities. Your fear is not resolved by scientific, incredible steps forward. That is not how your fear is resolved. Your fear is actually resolved by transcendence. It's resolved by transcendence. But it's a different kind of transcendence. Because the fear is about the the disconnection between life and eternity. That's the fear. How is that? I know I'm made to live. I live now, but somehow I know I'm, I, I've got it written into me that life is precious and it should last. And we cannot transcend that gap. We cannot bridge that challenge. We cannot transcend beyond death into life. And yet the message of the Bible The message of the good news of Jesus is about the transcendent work of Jesus. Because he is the one who transcends from eternity into time. He breaks in. And he carries us into eternity because he lives again. Do you see that? What is transcendence? It's to go, to go beyond the range of our limits. To go beyond the range of our limits. Whether that's our, our sphere of activity, the, the constraints of just this life, yet Jesus transcends that. The resurrection of Jesus is about him transcending time and eternity. When he rises again, he rises in a physical body and yet he is no longer constrained by time, by a life that runs out, by a life that ends. You and me, we live in a body that begins and ends. And yet the resurrection says it is not meant to be like that. We are to inhabit bodies forever. And Jesus 
gives indication to say that is where we are headed. It's not through scientific capability that we live forever. Freddie Mercury sang, Who Wants to Live Forever? Well, I guess in lots of ways, many of us would say, I don't want to live forever if it's going to be like this. But I do want to live forever if it's going to be perfect, if it's going to be beautiful, if it's going to be free from pain and suffering and injustice, if it's going to be marked with beauty and life and all of those things that God first created us for, And Jesus says, yes. And I am the way to that. When he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, it's about this.